Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the second last chapter of his work, Black Skin, White Mask, Franz Fanon has a section called The Negro and Hegel. And a lot of that section is focused on what's often erroneously called the master-slave dialectic. It's actually the dialectic of self-consciousness in that early part that the master-slave dialectic is a small part of after the struggle for recognition and the battle to the death and the subjugation of one of the consciousnesses. But we can put that aside for a moment. Fanon is taking up some really important themes and reinterpreting them, as is the case not just for himself, but for many francophone intellectuals of the 20th century. And we should pause here for a moment and say a little bit about Hegel and the reception of him and why Fanon is, is picking up on Hegel. So, as he tells us, the really key issue here is that of recognition in Hegel's German Anerkennen. And this means to, to be acknowledged as a, as a person, not just as a thing, not as subhuman, but being treated as another person. And this assumes a really important role in the self-consciousness section, but then it runs throughout the rest of the phenomenology and the master slave dialectic is actually an unsuccessful way of trying to attain recognition both on the master's part and what's imposed upon the slave. And then in, in the phenomenology, there follow several other dialectics that come out of this struggle for recognition, the master-slave dialectic, the stances of stoicism, skepticism, and then this longer section called the unhappy consciousness. Now, Fanon is not actually going to talk about those here. Instead, he's going to move in a different direction, but it's important to acknowledge that. Now, Hegel's phenomenology was not that important really in the 19th century, but in the 20th century, it became the book to, to read. And so some of the people that Fanon himself is drawing upon and reacting against, like for example, Jean-Paul Sartre, also Simone de Beauvoir, Hegel plays an important role in their works. Actually, Gabriel Marcel, who he mentions, was, was early on an idealist and then left that behind. Well, also Jacques Lacan, he brings up as well. So there's a lot of like Hegel in the air. And Fanon thinks that some of this can be useful, but not in a like, let's follow Hegel and in, in lockstep through this, rather adapting it. So this recognition, this question, well, how are you going to attain recognition and what does recognition actually look like and demand? That's something that Hegel is putting on the map front and center. So we should talk about the dialectic of self-consciousness and the master-slave dialectic. I'm going to give you a real thumbnail version of it here. So in the phenomenology, after the consciousness section, which finishes up with one of the toughest sections of the, the book itself, Force and the Understanding, there there's this new start and it has to do with self-consciousness. Now, self-consciousness is not just consciousness of something else, but consciousness of oneself. So it's reflexive. 
It, it has to do with all sorts of modalities that we could call valuing oneself, self-esteem, your self-image, all these sort of self-hyphen things can fit into self-consciousness. Now Hegel, one of the main contributions he makes, one of the realizations that's there in the work is that you don't get self-consciousness by itself in a world with no other others and then just runs into an, another and then suddenly you know, becomes aware of, of other people existing. No, we exist as self-consciousness already in relation to others. We, that's part of how we inhabit a world. It's already a social or relational world. And you can only be self-consciousness through another self-consciousness, or we, to be more exact, through all sorts of self-consciousnesses, because it's never just as purely dyadic as Hegel makes it out to be. So what we have in Hegel's narrative is these two self-consciousnesses encounter each other. They want recognition from the other. They're kind of crude. They don't really know how to, how to get it in productive ways. So they engage in a struggle to the death. They attempt to impose their own importance, will, whatever we want to call it, demand upon the other self-consciousness. The other self-consciousness does that equally to the other. And they both recognize their commonality. So they're like, I better attack that guy before he attacks me. Right? So there's this aspect there that's almost Hobbesian in a way. And one of the self-consciousnesses values its life more than the other and gives in. Or they kill each other or one mortally wounds the other and then we start from the start. But where we go from the, the dialectic is one of them knuckles under and the other one becomes the master, the lord, the Herr in German. The other becomes the serf, the slave, the servant, the connect. And now we have the dialectic of master and slave. And here we're not just talking about individuals, we're talking about entire classes of people. We can talk about dynasties, we can talk about all sorts of things. So the master as an individual and as a class makes the slave be the intermediary between the world of objects that have to be worked upon and the master and his or her desire to enjoy. And they do enjoy. Right? The slave makes things for them. It could be like, make me a sandwich, or it could be, make me a play that I can watch, or make me some music, or whatever it's going to be. You know, make my child be educated. A lot of Greek tutors were serving Roman masters in, in the Roman Empire, teaching their kids. So the master doesn't continue to develop. The master is kind of left behind, except as a force to be reckoned with. The recognition that they get from the slave is only partial because they're not treating the slave as a full person. The slave and the master-slave dialectic develops through having to subordinate themselves, through fear, through service, through deferring their own desires, and becomes something more in the process. Okay, so that's Hegel's master-slave dialectic, typical sort of take that the Marxists really focused in on, and you know, French existentialists and psychoanalysts also picked up on, including Fanon. So what do we have with Fanon then? Well, a little bit earlier in the work, putting aside the references to Hegel, where he talks about how this person basically did a parody of Hegel or stuff like that, there's, there's two main places that we should look at. So the first one is actually early on in the discussion of sexuality. And he talks, this is in chapter three, The Man of Color and the White Woman. He says, I wish to be acknowledged not as black, but as white now. And this is a form of recognition that Hegel had not envisaged. Who but a white woman can do this for me? By loving me, she proves that I am worthy of white love. I am loved like a white man. I marry white culture, white beauty, white whiteness, right? 
Now, he's not saying that this is actually his own choice or desire. He's, he's speaking in terms of the, the person who wants to appropriate white culture by developing a lasting relationship in which they are acknowledged, in which they are recognized first by their lover and then hopefully by the rest of society by taking on the what belongs to the master class or belongs to the elite class in this case, however we want to, to call it. So there, he calls this a recognition Hegel did not envisage. Technically, that's completely correct. Hegel doesn't talk about anything remotely like this in the phenomenology, not even in the later parts. So what's going on here? We should think about this. Why is Fanon bringing up Hegel at this point if he's saying, well, Hegel isn't actually helpful here? That's something to leave in your mind for a little bit. Then he also brings up uh, Leopold Senor talking about Césaire. And here he brings up something a little bit different that's not coming straight out of the phenomenology, but out of Hegel's works more generally. He says that, now this is, this is actually from Jean-Paul Sartre's Orphe Noir. The Negro, as we said, creates an anti-racist racism for himself. In no sense does he wish to rule the world. He seeks the abolition of all ethnic privileges wherever they come from. He asserts his solidarity with the oppressed of all colors at once. Now here's where it gets Hegelian, right? The subjective existential ethnic idea of negritude passes, as Hegel puts it, into the objective positive exact ideal of the proletariat. For Césaire, Senor says the white man is the symbol of capital as the Negro is that of labor. Beyond the black skinned men of his race, it is the battle of the world proletariat that is his song. And so this is, you know, quite important. This is something that plays a turning point, actually, as, as Fanon tells us in his own thinking as he's reading these pages where Sartre is encapsulating what Senor is saying about Césaire. So it's like, you know, participating in this whole conversation really a conversation of intellectuals where there's some acknowledgement going on. But what's the important thing here? The subjective existential idea of negritude passes into the objective, positive, exact idea of proletariat. There's a displacement that's taking place. And this is typically Hegelian. Hegel thinks that it's important to move away from just the subjective, just the lived experience into something more essential, something more objective. And so this is a sort of typical Marxist transformation. And Senor is actually rejecting that. So what is he doing then in his own appropriation in this chapter? Well, sub chapter. The chapter itself is the Negro and Reconciliation. And so he's bringing up Hegel. And I, I want to say from the start, Fanon is using Hegel, but he's not actually going to completely endorse Hegel here. So it's important to see where he's, he's actually going. So in appropriating Hegel, he's really talking about three key aspects of the struggle for recognition. So one is that recognition is something that is desired from the other. And we can talk about desire for the other. And sometimes it can be desire for the other's desire, but it can also be desire for the other's acknowledgement. It can be desire for the other treating you as an autonomous entity having value. And so he says, the human being is human only to the extent to which they try to impose their existence on another person in order to be recognized by them. As long as they haven't been effectively recognized by the other, that other will remain the theme of their actions. And this is a great 
idea to, to dwell upon. This can be in terms of recognition through sexuality. I think about one who desires another and because they can't get that person to give them the proverbial time of day, they obsess over them or they obsess with people who are like them and they find substitutes. I can't get her to like me, I'll get her to like me instead. And it never completely works, does it? Or it could be entire classes of people. I mean, think about the whole incel culture and their obsession with how they deserve eight to tens, even though they're a four and it, we go on and on and on. That's part of this desire for recognition. But I should put this too. Not all desire for recognition is rational or reasonable or merited. I could say that I deserve recognition for being the best lecturer ever in philosophy. I don't deserve that. Some desires for recognition aren't actually rooted in, in reality, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. And many of them stem from our culture. You know, we can think about racial dynamics, the idea that I ought to be treated differently because of color of skin or facial physiognomy, or we could talk about language as he does in here, the difference in dialects. We could also talk about education. We could talk about walking into a bar and expecting service in a certain way because I've got a credit card or a wad of money or something like that. All those are desires for recognition. We impose them upon others. And here's where it gets really interesting. If we coerce it from the other, it's not really recognition. It's kind of a pale substitute for it, isn't it? So desire of the other. He goes on a little bit more and he says that each consciousness of self is in quest of absoluteness. It wants to be recognized as a primal value without reference to life as a transformation of what Hegel calls subjective certainty into objective truth. When it encounters resistance from the other, self-consciousness undergoes the experience of desire. And, and this is important. He says that this leads to the dignity of the spirit. Self-consciousness can then risk itself. And he says, as soon as I desire, I am asking to be considered. I am not merely here and now sealed into thingness. I am for someone else and for something else. I demand that notice be taking of my negating activity insofar as I pursue something other than just life. Insofar, this is a beautiful phrase, as I do battle for the creation of a human world, that is of a world of reciprocal recognitions. And so this is a, a great lead in to the next thing. We don't want recognition in a one-sided way. We want a reciprocal recognition. We want to be recognized by those who we also extend recognition to, who we value. And this is why the position of the master, ironically, is not a good position. They recognize other masters. They don't recognize those who are giving them the recognition that they're demanding. That is the slaves, right? Or anytime that we have a status and privilege differential like that, there's a problem with that sort of thing, which isn't to say that we have to undermine all hierarchies. We could have hierarchies of actual merit rather than just assumed merit. That goes a little bit beyond this. So recognition and reciprocity with the other. He says, at the foundation of Hegelian dialectic, there's an absolute reciprocity, which must be emphasized. It is in the degree to which I go beyond my own immediate being that I apprehend the existence of the other. Now notice what he says here, as a natural and more than natural reality. We recognize other people, not just as these sort of spiritual, airy beings beyond the body. No, we recognize each other through our bodies, which means if we're thinking in terms of race, through our skin 
through all the cultural assumptions that go into that. We, that is a possibility for us though. So this recognition has to be made reciprocal and, and often it isn't. And there's a third component to this that he's getting from Hegel that is, uh, you know, in some respects really problematic. Hegel himself is trying to figure out how we go beyond this after the master-slave dialectic, this need for conflict and risk. How do you know that somebody values something they're willing to sacrifice and risk for it? So he says that self-consciousness accepts the risk of its life, Consequently, it threatens the other in its physical being. He goes on and says, human reality in itself for itself can be achieved only through conflict and through the risk that conflict implies. What does this risk mean? I go beyond life toward a supreme good, something else that is the transformation of subjective certainty of my own worth into a universally valid objective truth. I'm looking for something that is not merely subjective, something that is now objective, something that is in the society as an assumption, as something that is enacted. That's a lot to ask. And here's where the analysis gets really interesting. Fanon says, well, you know, Hegel, he had the master-slave dialectic, and then what comes after it? We're going to take a different turn. So he, he thinks that the case of people in the United States and I think you can also make a case, given what he said about South Africa earlier, that there is this master-slave dialectic going on writ large within the society. He says that I'm going to analyze the French Negro for the American Negroes cast in a different play. In the United States, the Negro battles and is battled. There are laws that little by little are invalidated under the Constitution. There are other laws that forbid certain forms of discrimination, and we can be sure that nothing is going to be given free. There is war, there are defeats, truces, victories, right? So there, there is this struggle of the in law, not slave, but actually being treated as slave, particularly in political, economic, social conditions, legal conditions as well. Think about segregation in, in the American South and the illegality of lynchings that he mentions going on in here. There is a struggle that's going on and it's possible to attain something through that struggle that is outside of the master-slave dialectic as Hegel sketches it out. We might also think about other parts of Africa, you know, the Belgian Congo in particular, right? At the time that he's, he's writing other colonies of other countries. But then he talks about the French and the French situation being a bit different. Why? Well, in, in the French colonies, slavery gets ended in a way that doesn't allow for the Hegelian dialectic to actually take shape. So he says, he who is reluctant to recognize me opposes me in a savage struggle. I'm willing to accept convulsions of death, invincible dissolution, but also the possibility of the impossible. But the other can recognize me without struggle. And here he brings up Hegel again in the master-slave dialectic. He says that the individual who's not staked his life may no doubt be recognized as a person, but he's not attained the truth of this recognition as an independent self-consciousness. So now he's talking not about everybody. He says this has to do with the, the French colonized blacks. Historically, the Negro steeped in the inessentiality of servitude was set free by his master. He did not fight for his freedom. 
Out of slavery, the Negro burst into the list where his masters stood. Like those servants who are allowed once every year to dance in the drawing room, he's looking for a prop. He's not become a master. When there are no longer slaves, there's no longer masters. And then he says, the Negro is a slave who's been allowed to assume the attitude of a master. The white man is a master who allowed his slaves to eat at his table. And he says that this upheaval reached the Negroes from without. The black man was acted upon. Values that had not been created by his actions danced in a huge whirl around him. And a little bit later, he says, they haven't fought for their freedom. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. He says, from time to time, he's fought for liberty and justice, but these were always white liberty and white justice. That is values secreted by his master. And so he winds up in a situation where... He's been given what he says he wants, but he's not given it in the way that he needs, demands, desires it. And the same white world that values people differently, where it's connected not just with skin color, but economics, with culture, is still in place. And he has to sort of push against it, but he doesn't have the, you might say, justification for, for pushing against it. And then he says, that, well, another possibility is seeking out conflict. You find the conflict where it is. He says, the former slave needs a challenge to his humanity. He wants a conflict, a riot, but it's too late. The French Negro is doomed to bite himself and just to bite. A little bit later, he says, this situation becomes unbearable, unable to ever be sure whether the white man considers him consciousness in itself for itself in this Hegelian way, granting recognition. He must forever absorb himself in uncovering resistance, opposition, challenge. And he talks about... Um, young Negroes sought to maintain their alterity, alterity of rupture, conflict, battle. And Fanon says, well, that doesn't actually overcome this. So what we, what we have here are different ways in which the Hegelian dynamic or dialectic can go that aren't really described in Hegel's own thought, but have to be diagnosed by somebody like Fanon in, in this work. This isn't the final point in what Fanon has to say, but this is where his consideration of Hegel recognition and black-white relations effectively ends. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.